2: today's show we cover the 5 biggest news stories from the world of Formula 1, which this week are F1 versus the FIA, Hamilton opens up, a driver's eye view for all, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay for long and a new F2 team is born. Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Every Wednesday we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I said Wednesday. Realistically, this might go out Thursday. It's been a busy week for us and uh, a busy enough week to provide enough news for a show you'll be glad to hear. And to help me talk through that news, we have Sam. How are you, Sam?
0: Hello, I'm good, thank you. I had a haircut. How are you? You did.
2: Uh, that's that's great for the listener, but for <laughs> the record for the listener, it is a lot shorter. Sam had been growing it out, I think, not, I mean, against his will to some extent
0: for quite a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, my laziness and my will are clearly at odds with one another. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just well, you know, when you don't get around to it. And also, it was quite warm, so it, uh, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. Um I've been pretty cold and now it's freezing cold yeah yes the back of my the back of my neck
2: is oh it's horrible Uh, well anyway Abby hasn't had a haircut Uh, unfortunately she's got a bit worse again though so we do have another case of Abby Dyer on the podcast but how are you feeling Uh, not too bad I hope
1: no I'm okay my voice is just a bit funny as listeners can probably tell but I'm just glad to be here and yeah Sam getting your haircut in this freezing weather probably wasn't the best time to get it cut
0: Well, the reason why is a couple of weeks ago, I got the, so uh, are you thinking about getting your hair cut soon, comment from my girlfriend, and at that point, you know, I was losing battle, so I didn't even put up any fight at all, yeah. Yeah, the decision's been made then. Exactly, you know, I just had to comply. James, how are you? I'm right. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah very, very
2: cold uh, in Paris. I assume it's probably at least as cold in the UK, because I remember what it used to be like there. But anyway, enough about us. Uh, let's talk about F1. There's nowhere else to start other than F1 versus the FIA. Uh, that has been big news and it's something that will probably rumble on for a very long time. Now, in a nutshell, Mohammed bin Salim, the FIA president, tweeted that the bid made by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund was inflated. Uh, he said that anyone coming into the sport would need to think about the sport as a whole and apply common sense, consider the greater good of the sport and come with a clear sustainable plan, not just a lot of money. Now, whatever you think of that position... It's clear that F1 and Liberty Media are not best pleased by these statements. They sent a letter, or F1 sent a letter, which came from Renee Wilm, the Chief Legal and Administrative Officer of Liberty Media, and Sasha Woodward-Hill. Accusing the FIA of interference in the letter, they accused the sports regulators of breaking the following agreement. The FIA has given unequivocal undertakings that it will not do anything to prejudice the ownership, management and or exploitation of those rights. We consider that those comments made from the FIA president's official social media account interfere with those rights in an unacceptable manner. So do you think he's overstepped the mark? Do you think he was right in what he said?
0: Uh, Do you think that matters? I think it was both. They're not mutually exclusive things. He has overstepped the mark, but he is also right. 20 million 20 billion dollars is an overinflated sum. Liberty Media purchased Formula One for 4.6 billion five years, six years ago. And there's no way that it's grown, you know, 15 billion. Yes, Drive to Survive has been incredibly successful, a brilliant marketing tool for the sport. And yes, you know, the inflation is, you know, record high highs in the UK. And in other parts of the world, so when you're buying something as large as a an international sport, you're talking huge sums, which will have obviously increased because of that, and obviously the uh, the increased popularity of Formula One. But 20 billion is a lot. Like I can't I can't see how that that is a justified sum. But also, so so he's right in saying that. But also, he has overstepped the mark. He's misinterpreted the role of the FIA in this. I'm not sure. I
2: mean, it is overinflated. It's a ridiculous amount of money. But in terms of the way the world is moving and sport and money in sport is moving, I think it's not necessarily overinflated. I think that's debatable, at least, because like you say, it's been six years since the the purchase from Liberty Media. And yeah, F1's popularity has skyrocketed during that time. Like you say, Drive to Survive has had a huge impact. And you look at the the salaries and the transfers in football and they just go up and up and you, it's now Ronaldo getting what 500 million over two and a half years so yeah I, I think it's debatable at least and I I think the bigger question is
0: what Ben Sillian was trying to achieve. Yeah I mean I, I take your point that, that that's fair and also I'm no expert right I don't work in mergers and acquisitions yeah I don't work for uh a big four company, anything like that. It's just my kind of gut feel and, and based on the factors that I laid out. And, but yeah, I think this is what we're starting to see here as a broader pattern of behavior from, from the FI present. He's overstepped the mark a couple of times now, like when he got involved with the whole Andretti thing. And I can understand why F1 have their tails up about this because We've seen this before. We've seen over-involvement from regulatory governing bodies and a civil war wouldn't be unprecedented. So, yeah, I can see both sides of it, very much so.
1: I think the main thing for Liberty Media in that is they handle the sports commercial rights, but for the FIA, they just handle the sports regulations of it. They're the sports regulators. And for the FIA president to say this to them, it is an overstep of what the FIA are supposed to do within F1. But now it has caused that tension and it does beg the question of how F1, FIA, Liberty Media will handle this season going forward with these tensions between the two and whether we'll see more tensions arise with Saleem speaking his opinion more or whether they can be resolved.
0: It's a very hardball tactic that we're seeing from Ben Saleem it's not necessarily the way to bring Liberty Media and the sport of F1 around to his way of thinking. He's kind of bulldozing his way through tweets. And I don't know, it doesn't seem to be particularly diplomatic. And I think it leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of a negotiating tactic, or at least trying to uh, convince and influence the sport.
2: It's it's a big difference from the way that Jean-Todd went about his business, isn't it? I think that's the the most notable thing. Yeah, whether it was a case of Jean-Todd trying to keep the peace or whether he just had less to deal with during his time, I'm not entirely sure. But I'm not convinced so far with the way that Ventilium has dealt with the situations that have come up during his tenure.
0: Yeah, I think you're right in saying that I don't think these things necessarily came up under John Todd. Um, he didn't have to deal with or grapple with some of these issues, especially the, you know, the Michael Massey fallout really fell into, you know, after his, his tenure. Yeah. So that was, you know, Ben Thalian was on the back foot from the start, let's face it. And also, yes, Liberty Media took over whilst John Todd was still FI president, but we are now starting to see the realities of that. Whereas previously, love him or hate him, Bernie Eccleston had such total control and it wasn't a, you know owned by a, a public company that is at its whims to its shareholders, its fiduciary duties, so on and so forth is there to make money. It was very much um, con- more controllable in that sense. So again, you're starting to see teams be more interested in their commercial in the commercial values because again they're also by extension almost a double effect they're at the whims of the performance of f1 and they're also at the whims of the performance of their respective owners you know be it red bull be it daimler mercedes you know ferrari whoever it might be i don't know which ones are, are, are publicly listed and which aren't but i imagine all of them have
2: shareholders something i wonder is i mean there's there's nothing controversial about saying new owners need to come in with a solid plan. That's that's great. And I don't think F1 would have any issue with that. It's yeah, saying that it's that he's just effectively damaging the valuation of F1 by saying that it's not worth 20 billion. And I so, wonder if this was something that the FIA and uh, those in support of Ben Suleim have planned out as a tactical move or whether he's just gone rogue.
0: I, I honestly couldn't, couldn't say. Yeah, he has shown that he's willing to step out and say what he wants to say when he feels it's appropriate. And I can imagine there's always... I feel like these public figures, there's always a team of advisors behind them going, oh, please don't do that. Why did you tweet yeah. that? Why did you say that? So there could be an element of that. But also ultimately, he is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is accountable. He is the one who will ultimately live and die by... The relationship between Formula One and the FIA, so I can understand why he feels it's kind of within his gift, within his remit to do and say as he pleases on the relationship. But again, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It looks a little bit like, whether intentional or not, he's dr- driving the price down of Formula One.
2: I mean, we we saw at uh, the prize giving gala. You know, he's he does appear to have that in his in his locker, going rogue and just. I mean yeah maybe there was some alcohol Uh, we can't say either way for sure but it it appeared that way and that's how most people took it during that that night that he was kind of going off on one and Stefano Domenicali basically moved it moved it swiftly on but on that note we should move swiftly on we'll have to wait and see how this plays out I think it will it will drag on for a long time and probably be a something that's in the background of, of F1 throughout the 2023 season but yes, moving on. In a podcast released on Monday by On Purpose, Lewis Hamilton uh, has come out with a lot more information than he's really ever given before about his childhood and what he experienced growing up in Stevenage. He said that he had bananas thrown at him during his time at school. He was repeatedly called the N-word. It's it was tough to hear, and we all know what Lewis Hamilton has gone through at various points in his life but it was,
0: at the very least, illuminating, don't you think, Sam? I do, and I think, first of all, it shouldn't be lost on us or the listeners that we are three white people discussing this this topic, and we haven't had to experience some of the things Lewis Hamilton has experienced throughout his life a day in our lives. So we can only kind of listen to what he says and take it on board. And I think he speaks with such eloquence on such a difficult subject. I think he's a a role model for people of all races. And he's really, he is the blueprint of, of how you should handle yourself. I think in, in these situations, because his experience within motorsport specifically is so unique. He is the only black F1 driver to ever have you know, raced in the sport. And, so no one can possibly imagine some of the things that he has gone through. Mainly, you know, when, when he, when he got to the sport, obviously you can understand, or, or you know, people of, of color can understand some of the things that he went through growing up. But I think for me, the, 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 the big take homes were just how difficult it was for him. And I think that shouldn't be lost on anyone. And I, Some of the things that have happened throughout his F1 career, one thing that he got a lot of criticism for was when he referenced the Ali G quote and kind of saying maybe it's because I'm black after receiving a penalty, I think it was in in Monaco, only a couple of years into his career. The backlash was huge. And I think we are now at a place in society where we better understand why he said that and I think you know in many ways it was a joke but for me I think there's a lot of reflection that needs to be taken on this for such a white dominated sport I think it's I think that's why it's so important that Lewis Hamilton speaks out on these issues and he you know he said himself in his podcast that before he took the knee as part of the BLM protest he didn't tell his team and I think that really says a lot. And he said, I, I just didn't think they'd understand. And there's a lot that they'll never be able to understand, but it's important that they listen, give him the space, the platform to do that. Which is why I'm glad that he has taken this opportunity to, to speak up, go on this podcast, particularly on the backdrop of the FIA coming out and saying, yeah, we don't want political statements. Not that I think racism is political, it shouldn't be political. So, yeah, I think it was a very difficult listen, but also an incredibly important listen.
1: Definitely, and I think it takes a lot of courage to talk about hard times in your life, and for Hamilton to do that, it is very eye-opening to talk about his childhood and to talk about his process and his thoughts going ahead of taking the knee wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and saying I had this fear that my team wouldn't support me. And it's amazing that Mercedes have shown support and all the other drivers. The F1 did come together, but it does highlight that there is still reflection that needs to be taken. There is still steps that need to happen to get rid of racism, because I get why the FAA may not want the drivers to use their platform to make political religious or personal statements but they they have this platform to use and Hamilton has been one who has used it and he has used it so well. and I think in the podcast he said he wanted it so he was wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt and he was taking the knee and he was hoping that kids would look at the TV and ask their parents and say, why is he kneeling? What does that shirt mean? And then the parents would have to have this conversation of explaining it all because people do need to be made aware. And I think Lewis is one of those people that is not only a racing driver, he is this icon within the sports world, within Britain, in the world in general, for having this voice and actually using it and helping people understand and finally kind of comprehend that this does happen, but it shouldn't happen
2: you right when the FIA has, has brought in the, these new rules and or regulations about expressing beliefs. I wonder if that was a part of the reason why Lewis has chosen to do this, because he has very rarely appeared on, I mean, many things. And he, when he does, they tend to be huge. You know, he, he goes out and speaks to Trevor Noah or something on The Daily Show. So it was refreshing as well to see a very, you know, fairly small podcast that he's gone on and... and Spoken about something that's very important to him yeah and going back to when you mentioned the the leg comment that there certainly was a joke uh the way it was delivered and when you think that the backlash that came from <laughs> what was essentially what was essentially a joke when lewis had stayed totally quiet on things that he'd experienced the the abuse from the the fans at the alonso fans at practice in spain wearing blackface and I believe at the time Bernie Eccleston just kind of playing it off as them joking or, or swooping under the cover and it's something now that would cause huge ruptures uh, and I think that does at least show that we have come on a long way in the last 10-15 years and whether you feel that the We Races one initiative has succeeded or not I think it's clear that for the most part now the sporting world certainly if not the world in general is trying to do the right thing and move in the right direction
0: just before we move on, I do also want to say that I hope that we have done this topic justice. I hope it hasn't come across badly or or preachy or anything like that. Um, Because I, and I'm, I'm sure Abby and James agree with me in this, it is very much a time for white people to listen and understand and not necessarily put our voice out there. But as it is news, we wanted to cover the fact that it has happened uh, this week. That Lewis has come on this pod- on the podcast and, and discussed his experience. So on that note, we'll move on. Um, but yes, I hope we've done that justice.
1: Well, the next piece of news is a rather exciting piece of news, and it involves the driver's eye, the helmet cams that were introduced in 2021, but not for all drivers. But the FIA have updated the 2023 technical regulations to mandate the use of helmet cameras for all 20 drivers on the grid, which means we will get to see all the drivers' viewpoints from inside the car with the driver's eye. The FAA released a statement and said that they've made this decision because the helmet cams have proved to be a great success, generating significant positive feedback from fans as a valuable addition to the broadcast of a Grand Prix. Now, with the driver's eye, I do like the addition that it adds, but sometimes it can make me feel a bit queasy because obviously F1 cars go very fast and on circuits there's lots of bends in that, but it does add that extra bit to watching a Grand Prix. Are you guys happy with having all drivers having the helmet cam for
2: this season? I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's it's only good news for me. Uh, it's, you know, it's so many people, ex-drivers and, and who are now turned pundits, have said it's the best representation of what it's really like to be in an F1 car. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, every shot is fascinating. You, and now uh, the fact that we can throw between two drivers, maybe battling wheel to wheel and go from helmet to helmet, I can't wait for it personally.
0: Yeah, I think it's a brilliant addition. Personally, not for me, like you, Abby. It makes me feel a bit sick. Uh, but and but I'm v- v- more interested in it than something like the pedal cam. I appreciate what they're trying to do, and there's people who would be very interested in, in seeing that, that dynamic with the pedal cam, but I think the the helmet cam is more universal, and yeah, it's it's widely applicable. You can wheel to wheel racing, you can see exactly what the drivers doing. And if former F one drivers are saying this is the most realistic representation of, of what you would of what we can do to show you what it's like to be in a car, then yeah, you've got to go for it. So yeah, it's a really important addition. Just uh, I might have to look away when <laughs> when Sky decide to cut to those those cameras. Yeah, no, I think the the pedal cam was. Something of a novelty.
2: It was kind of cool to see, but you know, there is very little to see down there, uh, apart from the revelation. I don't, I don't know if you guys saw this that Daniel Ricciardo doesn't rest his foot. Uh, and I think, I think it was Martin Brundle who was astonished, or maybe Jensen uh, who was astonished that his foot was there waggling about, and most other people have it when they're not using it more planted. That was, I think, the the one breakthrough moment we had uh, from that camera. Oh, maybe he should plod his foot. <laughs> maybe he wouldn't <laughs> maybe. be a reserve driver. <laughs> anyway. Well, as, as exciting as that news is, there's not a lot to say about it.
1: No, there's not. As you said, James, it is all good news with the helmet cam. And the next bit is all about Las Vegas, which Daniel Ricciardo will sadly be missing. Um, Las Vegas, obviously, Formula One are heading there for the penultimate round of the 2023 season. And operations it's quite a big operation it's going to be a street circuit so it'll be along the strip at one point point. and everyone have announced that operations will be starting in April the construction for the paddock building is in full swing but other things with um, timelines for construction and setup will vary in each zone depending on what sort of things they need to install but they're really planning to start building as early in June which given that the race is less or like 10 months away from now it that's quite a short time frame but stefano Domenicali and those involved in building the circuit and that believe that there is incredible professionality working within the community to help bring the las vegas grand prix to life and they've got lots of plans for different aspects of it with vehicular bridges pedestrian walkways they're working with the police and the fire departments as well to make sure that everything runs smoothly so whilst it is a short time frame, they are positive and hopeful that they can get the construction of the Las Vegas Grand Prix up and running by November 18th, which I'm hoping is true because it seems like there is a lot of work that still needs to be done and it, it is such a short time frame for them to get it done. I don't, I feel like a lot will be very, very last minute.
2: We've had races before where it was, yeah, I mean, I think Saudi Arabia, when we went there in 2021, they were still building parts of the stands and such and a lot of you could just walk up to the track i remember people saying to because the the barriers weren't actually or the gating around the the outside of the venue wasn't totally finished so it's not totally unheard of in f1 and yeah you can see vegas being it was always going to be
0: a challenge yeah i think the at the end of the day as long as it's done and up to the standard it needs to be by the time F1 gets there, I kind of see it as a no harm, no foul situation. It's it's always going to be difficult getting a a race ready in a city. Monaco, it's still a massive task every year. And we've, what, as a sport, been every year bar one, and that was because of COVID. So this this will be a yearly thing for Vegas. Obviously, the first year will be that little bit more difficult. But as I said, as long as it's it's all done, it's, it's fine these things are going to be a bit difficult and disorganized at times yeah
2: quite often you'll see in the build-up to a race someone will go look it's it's like a, something gets shared on social media and someone who's at the track working on it or whatever will go look it's still a building site and the race is here in a week and everyone goes oh my god is it going to happen and then it always happens everyone forgets about it so i'm sure this far in advance certainly i'm sure they'll get it done
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it will get done. And it's Las Vegas, so it's always go big or go home in Vegas. So they will definitely create a spectacular Grand Prix.
2: They'll go big and then they'll go home. Yeah. <laughs> but talking we'll of keep going home. Just before we go home, we'll quickly talk about a new F2 team, or, or rather a merger. Sam, do you want to talk us through that?
0: Yes. So Carlin, who are one of the biggest names in Motorsport, particularly the junior categories, they're on the F2 grid, they're on the F3 grid, and below have merged with Rodin Cars, which is a New Zealand based car manufacturer. You'll be familiar with the name if you're familiar with F2, because they sponsor or have sponsored Liam Lawson's junior career. So we're used to seeing them on the Carlin car, but this is a, a partnership between the two, which they're both hoping will keep Carlin competitive. At the the sharp end of the grid in in series that they are competitive like F two and help elevate their game in in series where they could find some performance like F three for example. Um, so yeah, it's an exciting development. Um, so they will be known as Rodin Carlin uh, for the foreseeable future. And I think it's I think it's a really exciting development because they've got two very very good and quick young drivers in Enzo Fittipaldi and Zane Maloney for the F2 season this year. And yeah, I I can't wait to see what that partnership brings.
1: Definitely. I think it is a good step for Carlin. I think Rodin will be the majority shareholder, but I think David Dicker from Rodin Cars said that him and Trevor both have an obsession with performance and competition, and they really hope that this merger will cement Carlin at the front of the grid. And as you said, Sam with Fitzpaldi and Maloney in F2, they certainly have the drivers to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I mean, the F2 season, the F3 season are fast approaching. F2 testing is the middle of February, so we're a matter of weeks away. And then obviously they their season kicks off the same weekend as the F1 season, which is the first weekend of March in Bahrain. And it's a, a record equaling 14 rounds again for, for F2 and a new record 10 rounds for F3, including Monaco, which I think is is going to be one of the highlights of the year, having the F3 cars going around the streets of the Principality.
2: Yeah, it's, it's all coming up very fast. Uh, we've got, yeah, like say, pre-season testing very soon, and we've got our first car launch, I think, before we'll be back next week with Haas, who have just announced that they will be going early and actually coming out with their... I mean, let's be honest, it'll be the livery, but nonetheless... Oh, they've, they've confirmed it's just the livery, to be oh, fair. okay, there you go. Okay, well, yeah, it's... It's a livery, it's a launch. We'll take it. You know, it's January. We take what we can get in terms of F1 news. So we'll be back to talk about that next week. And this weekend, we'll have a throwback to a very special guest, maybe our favourite ever guest on the Cuts of the Race podcast, to tide you over through these cold winter months. But we'll be back next week to talk about that launch and whatever else may come up between now and then. Now, I do have one thing just before we go. Sam, I believe you promised us an outro
0: last week. I can't believe you've done me dirty like this. Obviously, I forgot to do an outro. So I apologize, listeners. Can we take a rain check? That isn't <laughs> that, is, that, that. That isn't that. Can we take a rain check? Uh, no, I, I promise I will write something for next week. And I promise you, it'll be terrible. Uh, I'm not lyrically okay. gifted. Okay, <laughs>
2: Lyrically gifted. Can we take a rain check? Samuel Coop's debut album coming soon. But until then, it'll have to be lights out, mics off, and away we go until next week. See you then. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights
1: out, and away we go. go. go.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.